What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Black Men Unlearning. I am your co-host, Kyle Brooks. And I'm your co-host, Edwin Lee. And today, Edwin and I are going to be talking about a somewhat heavy and significant topic, namely the topic of kids. And as two Black men who ourselves have not fathered any children, have not fostered or adopted either, <laughs> we are not in the fatherhood game, uh, but have certainly thought a lot about it, have sat with the messaging and the socialization we've received around the idea of having children, of bringing new human beings into this world and caring for them, shaping a life for them. We really wanted to explore the impact and influence of our socialization around the idea of parenthood, what it means for us that we are advancing in age and do not have children, and some of the other factors that impact the decision to have or to not have children and what it means for the lives that we've imagined, the lives that we're shaping, and quite honestly, the opportunities that differently exist for folks to either pursue this idea of rearing kids, or how people find themselves frequently unable to imagine a way to do that, that can be flourishing and not merely surviving. So we talking about kids today and we're gonna get to the, the nitty gritty of what, what goes through our minds, what has happened in our lives that shapes how we've arrived at this point in our adulthood and facing the reality of children or the lack thereof. So I guess I can start with, with this question. When you were growing up, Edwin, did you feel like you had a strong influence, socialization, messaging around this idea of having kids someday? Yes. You know, as I, as I think about it, I think both of my parents in their own ways talked about the importance of, you know, raising kids and, and raising kids well, uh, and highlighted their own decision-making and behaviors with my brother and I to kind of show what I should be shooting for. And I think that that's a, a particular, and it's a, a particular important notion and detail, this idea of like shooting for like, this is the type of father you should be one day. And this is the type of husband you should be one day. I can remember my mom sharing that like growing up, she always wanted to have boys because she wanted to raise uh, upstanding black men. Um, and just for my dad, the, um, 
being driven by the idea of, of making sure that he was taking care of his family and leading with integrity. And so all of these kind of lessons really set me up for a, um, a belief that a key part of my manhood, and I would say perhaps like the linchpin for my manhood would be the type of husband and father that I could be one day. And because I was so locked into that expectation, um, though it was never, you know, specifically, you know, assigned to me, you know, I wasn't given a date. There was no, there's no arranged marriage or anything like that. Right. Um, this was something that I expected to happen. So uh, by the time I, you know, was deep into graduate school in my late 20s and, you know, realized by doing the the mental math that I was, you know, soon passing the age where my parents had me, I, I can remember being panicked, right? Like, had, was I wasting my life? Had, had I had I made some big mistakes because I had chosen these things. Um, and that this particular timeline had put me in position to be um, without um, a wife and not close to having kids. Um, and I think I struggled with the the perception that I was not on a good manhood trajectory until my my early 30s. Like I really had to unpack that uh, throughout my 20s. And so, yeah, like I think I was heavily socialized around the idea of this being a key part of, of, of who I was to become. And it took some intentional work to kind of deprogram from that. How about yourself? I would echo those sentiments. I grew up largely with my grandparents and my grandfather. I've talked about him before here. He was a pastor. And I distinctly remember when I would come back home from college, my grandfather would usually acknowledge the college students who were home visiting for the holiday breaks. And particularly when he acknowledged me and my brothers, he noted the ways that he and my grandmother were very intentional about wanting to raise us to be good husbands for somebody's daughters. Mm -hmm. And along with that, the ostensible idea that you will be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> Get married, have kids, build your family. The cycle continues. So that messaging has always been in the back of my mind as a part of the reasoning, a part of the impetus for how I should shape and live my life, how I should pursue work and career, how I should pursue partnership, how all of these things work together. 
what I've thought about are, as you said, the different things that pose an obstacle to the fulfillment of this ideal. One of the things that comes to mind for me, and I'm, I'm often curious about demographic matters and what does it look like to consider the actual numbers, the statistics around how people are or are not pursuing building families specifically through reproduction. And one of the things that, that comes to mind for me as we're both millennials is that we have lived through a significantly broken economy over the course of decades, entering into a world in which certain kinds of economic promise and prosperity have not been so easily attained or easily accessible, uh, living through significant recessions, through ridiculous housing markets and uh, bursting of the housing bubble and lots of predatory lending. So people are in economic straits that are significant. What's interesting, and I, I looked at, uh, there was a study published in January of this year in Fortune magazine that dealt with, just on a demographic level, is the decline in birth rate. Because we're, we're at a point now across this nation where the birth rate has been declining and has dropped sharply since the, the sort of Great Recession from like 2007, 2009. Before that, birth rates were pretty stable for like half a century. Then birth rate has been kind of inching its way down uh, since the recession, it had dropped about 20% in terms of birth rate, which is the lowest it's been, the lowest it's been, close to the lowest it's been in a century. And interestingly enough, the study suggested that it's not because people broadly were saying, we're just going to have fewer children. In fact, most people stated intention was that they still wanted to have on average about two kids. So something on the, the scale of about 88% of teenage uh, girls, 89% of teenage uh, boys said they wanted to have children. So there's slightly more people now who don't wanna have kids, but there's still a lot, the majority of people who do. So the question is, well, okay, why, why is that? What, what impacts that? What affects that possibility? And so much of it, I think, has to do with we're living in a world, we're dealing with realities that are making it more challenging to uh, bring in children, but they're also shifting and changing the way we live life. So if more people are pursuing higher education, if more people are pursuing careers and putting off having children, that means people are having, they're getting married later and partnered later. They're having children later. Um, there's less time biologically to meet those childbearing goals. Hmm. Uh, 
but also the longer you wait, that shifts. I, I, I'd be a very different parent in my 30s than I would be like in my earlier mid-20s. It's not to say that I'd be a poor parent. It's just I would be different. I've changed and grown so much since then. So all of that to say, the messaging has, has been there for me since youth. But alongside that messaging, I'm also confronting a world that is just different from what my grandparents had when they were 20-somethings having their children. Yeah, the, the economic details certainly uh, loom large in this, right? Like being in, living through recessions, having a hard time getting uh, a house, you know, like these things all factor in heavily to the choices that we make. I mean, uh, <laughs> Lord knows I have been blessed. So there have been certain situations where, you know, there might have been an oops and yet there was not an oops. Uh, but for the most part, you know, I have done the work to make sure I wasn't having children intentionally, right? Mm -hmm. um, in part because of all of the other things um, that I had going on and because of some of the economic details. I mean, I was in I, I graduated with my PhD as a 30-year-old, so um, I had not had any non-student employment until that point. And so that certainly shapes the way that I oriented my life. But you made a point about there being less time, and this is something that we've had a discussion about previously, like I want to bring back, I want to bring back to the fore, like, um our the speed of our lives and our availability around like when we work and things like that that has significantly changed since we were children and our parents uh were living their adult lives and so um my parents being born in the uh mid to late 50s um their their situation was a lot different in just starting adulthood around securing that first um that first home and uh being able to just come home and be home and not having to work uh but also i think the way that uh capitalism has been oriented our lives towards consumption and how social media has operated and the ways that we've been further fragmented into individualism by our society like the there's a lot of I've seen a couple articles about third places and the concept of third places is um, uh, social surroundings that are separate from the two usual social environments that you're in. So the first place being your home, the second place being your job and wherever you work. And the third place is like a physical meeting place where you meet and, and, and interact with other people. And the fact that those have largely started to decline within our sociological structure because of because the internet shout out to childish gambino um but um there's so many ways that even how we meet people and how we spend our time has shifted uh away from these kind of relational uh structures and these things that are not about pursuing 
more money and trying to advance your life to a place where you reach some level of comfort um, such that the idea of planning for having a kid and doing this with a level of responsibility, not to like virtue signal, cause you know, stuff be happening, but like, you know, like if you're trying to be intentional and really to, to make sure that you're prepared for that level of commitment, it's like, how do I, how do I reasonably do this within the structure that exists? And when you have so many things pressing for your time and for your energy, like the idea of being able to add to your life as it is with a child feels very difficult. And I don't, you know, I wasn't privy to the types of conversations that were having happening when my parents had me as a young child. But I know that there is a significant conversation that exists among the group of friends that I have that do not have kids about like, I don't know how the hell I would fit a child into my life. Where and when would that happen? And I think that that's really significant that folks who, as we've as we've stated before, you know, you and I work in academia, probably if we're going to talk about like earning across like the spectrum of average, average salary, we're probably on the higher end, even though we are by no means upper class, top 10% or top 20. I'm not going to do too much, but this is where we're at. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe top 20. Cause it's re- like, those numbers are really crazy. If you go look at them, like actually what the breakdown is as to what like constitutes top 20% and where the, like the 50% line is, I guess do that on your own time. Uh, but that all being said, like we are probably better positioned to be able to start that type of planning than most. And yet, when I've mentioned that part about like when would I fit in like raising a child, you nodded vigorously uh, for for the listening audience since this is not on a video medium quite yet. But like, yeah, like this is something that we have a hard time conceiving of. And so if it's difficult for us, my God, like it must be uh, almost impossible when you're thinking about planning in other contexts. So yeah, the economics is huge here, as well as just the, the the time, because you still are a person, you still need to be a human. And how do you do that when we've fragmented ourselves so much? So much? Yeah, it's it's really difficult. The shape of our lives has changed in such ways that the usual sorts of markers are not necessarily as easily available. So this idea of you start a job, a career, you get partnered slash married, you have kids, you buy a home, these sorts of benchmarks are not necessarily being achieved in the same way. Buying a house by yourself, particularly depending on the market that you're in, is a very tall task. This is not, we're, we're not dealing with our parents' housing market. Yep. Which means then if I want to raise 
the children I have in a house, if I want to have space of our own, if I want room for them to play, then I'm facing a different kind of uphill climb from what my parents did. I'm also considering that the shape of our lives socially, economically, is also impacted by the ways that we're oriented towards family units and structures. So a lot of people's ideas around family and child rearing are bound up in a particular idea around the nuclear family and what it means to have this family unit that is where you partner and reproduce and have a family, quote unquote. That's the the way we're supposed to do it. But, and I, I've, I've mentioned this before, in the, the book, Jesus and John Wayne, uh, by Kristen Cobes Dumay, uh, she writes about uh, the idea that the nuclear family built around a male breadwinner is a relatively recent invention, a thing that becomes more prominent in the, the 1920s, hits a peak in the 1950s and 60s, which, of course, you know, is when our parents were born, right? Mm-hmm. The sort of baby boomer era. And how all of this is, you, you think about this is all happening uh, post, you know, in the like World War II and post-World War II era. Folks are coming back from war. They're starting families or continuing families. Uh, lots of folk are, uh, and particularly more white veterans than anyone else, benefiting from the GI Bill, which is enabling them to uh, get more education, enabling them to get homes. And all of this is tied into that ability to have kids, uh, the ability for a nuclear family to kind of exist and operate as this standalone thing. When before then, you know, before this kind of this kind of era, it's more common to have multi-generational families where multiple contributors are adding to the family economy. That was the norm. And part of what that meant was you had more people on hand. There was a different kind of communal investment in care for the extended family, which meant if you had kids, it's not just, well, okay, those are your kids, take care of them. Because think about what happens now, especially with the kind of mobility of our lives, we end up in places where we, we did not start out. We were not born here. So we're building communities differently. We're building communities anew. We're not talking about the folks with whom we were raised, with whom we already had kinship. So imagine me, I'm going off somewhere, you know, to pursue a job opportunity. And I decide to partner, I decide to start a family. And now it's us. So who's babysitting? Who's looking out for the kids? Who's, you know, taking care of them while we, you know, mommy and daddy go on a vacation? All of that kind of extended kinship 
has been significant historically to how people were able to rear children, bring them into the world, care for them in a way that wasn't an overwhelming burden. And the functioning of the nuclear family depends on a certain degree of economic independence. The idea that you can generate enough capital, make enough money, have enough resources to fend for yourselves and also to not have to fend for anyone else. So you can take care of you and yours and everybody else will, you know, pull up them bootstraps, get it, get it how you live, get it out the mud. And if you don't get it out the mud, well, hey, that's on you. So there's even a kind of compassion, I think, that's absent from how we think about the, the pressures and demands of bringing children into this world. Now, I will say, and I think this is important to note, part of the decline in birth rate certainly has to do with the fact that broader access to varieties of birth control and family planning uh, technologies enable people to have more agency over childbirth. So fewer people are just, fewer people having unplanned pregnancies. But alongside that, I think about how that intentionality around bringing children into the world or not bringing them into the world is also a reflection of people's real anxieties about how do we do this in a way that also doesn't feel like some terrible burden, both on us and on the potential children? Because I can say this as, as one of seven kids, I think about the ways that there are experiences I had that I wouldn't want my kids, my potential children to have. Part of that comes with, well, all right, I don't have to have seven kids. And let me be very clear. I love all of my siblings very much. I'm glad that they're here and all flourishing in this world. Thank you very much. <laughs> but my point being, I'm existing in a much different world from, once again, what my parents existed in. So yeah, I, I similarly had, I had a moment in grad school. I remember it distinctly. I was driving home uh, from campus one evening and it dawned on me the age at the age that I am now, my mom was mother of four. And I sat and thought, boy, ain't gonna be me. <laughs> and that like I it was it was a sort of joking moment, but also a reflection of how different choices, different outcomes. My, as I said, you know, folks in my family, they didn't, they didn't have degrees when they decided to get married and have kids. So we made different choices. And part, partly I made choices out of imagining the kinds of economic outcomes I wanted to have. But even now, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing all right. I also think about how the precarity of our economic situations makes it such that even if you're doing all right, you still kind of on edge because you figure, man, let too many things go wrong at the same time. Man. 
fam, it's gonna be rough. And and to that point, like I I understand that being ready for kids or ready for fill in the blank thing that happens as you progress in your life is kind of a contrivance. Like a, a lot of the way life works is like you get thrown in that water and you figure out how to swim. Um, but man, like as much as I was so locked into this idea of, of having children uh, and being a father and being a husband, like, in my mind, I think in undergrad, I thought like by 27, of course, this is going to happen, right? Um, yo, 27-year-old me was not, by my current estimation, uh, very equipped or ready for uh, that level of responsibility. And and not that you don't just adjust and, you know, in 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 other circumstances, had things gone a different way. I don't necessarily think I would have not developed into uh, a decent human or I would have taken some terrible turn. Um, I think that, you know, you you adjust as as things come and you you make it work. And I, you know, I have I I have learned to have grace for that that younger version of me because I was just figuring it out. But in in all of that, it's just it's it's complex because you you don't I don't want to be moved by obligation or I don't want to be moved by this idea of like this is what's supposed to happen or this is the 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 structure you're supposed to live into. So by this point, you should have done this. Or if you have not done this yet, you need to be thinking and figuring out how that's going to happen. Because as someone who is 10 years beyond uh, the point at which I thought I would have children, um, I I don't feel like I got to rush and make that happen. Um, and the, the very idea of that in its conception feels strange. Because I think part of what motivates even this feeling like where am I going to find the time and, you know, the the money and resources to make sure that I do this? It comes from a desire for me, right, to have kids not out of obligation or necessity, but out of like deep love and abundance. And not that, you know, we arrive at this perfect point where, you know, at this point, I'm going to recognize like, oh, this is this is a good time to do this because all of the things have come together. But more that this, it, more that I actively do not want to have children in circumstances that are not that. And I, I say that with the caveat that that's how I feel today. And I may move on that. And I don't think that that opinion is necessarily uh, perfect, but as I think about the type and stress, the type of stress and strain that exists on relationships um, because of economic circumstances and the fact that ain't no family around, 
and the fact that everybody's trying to make all the ends meet and make all the things work and be in all the places and do all the things and get dinner on the table and make sure this, that, and the other is clean and cared for and nurse folks back to health. All of those details, like there's real stress and strain that comes from that, that it really doesn't feel like one or two people being responsible for all that is a great design. And I I I I question the individualistic nature of like everybody's responsible for their own and there's no like sharing of the responsibility to make sure that this happens well. But within that like you think about how we show up in in marriages and and relationships where there's a child involved and how not only how we show up for each other but how how the parents show up for that child and that stress and strain degrades that in many cases not at all but in many cases that causes so many issues for just the amount of love that's being able to be shared because of the real substantive needs that need to be met, that must be met, right? So the more that the system is structured to move us individually away from meeting our, our selfish needs, the more we get to this place where we feel stretched, and when we are stretched in that way, like it becomes harder for us to relate to each other lovingly. And like I, I just, I don't want to bring a child in this world that did not choose to be here and not be able to give them more than provision. Because I don't think provision is sufficient in and of itself. There's, there's, there's so much more that I believe I would owe any child of mine in terms of like the loving relationship that we develop and also like the type of stuff within myself that I have dealt with such that I can show up for them the best I can. I really appreciate that you named the importance, the significance of not wanting to do the bare minimum. My goal, as I'm sure yours is, is not to bring children into this world simply for them to survive. I want for them to thrive. And I recognize how part of the inherent risk of bringing children into this world is acknowledging the vast number of things over which we have no control. So to do so is always a risk on some level. It's always a challenge. It's always a, a reflection if we're pursuing this with some kind of meaningful intention. It's a challenge to imagine a hope where frequently there is none. And to say, oh, okay, I can look at this world and the madness that it is and still say, you know what, new life here makes sense. New life here 
can be abundant and significant. I find, so one thing to, to the question we were thinking about with respect to income. So the uh, 50th percentile of income, uh, according to statistics from 2021 into 2022, the 50th percentile for income for people who work, you know, 40 or more hours a week was right around $55,000. You slide up to say $70,000, that puts you at like the 63rd percentile if you're working 40 plus hours a week. So, so we're talking about this distribution then, right? Like that, that is in the higher end technically. Yeah. Now imagine it, it, you know, making that in certain places in the U S who boy is going to be a struggle. Bro, we live in Columbus, Ohio. Imagine like that. That here is is hard, right? Columbus is that, not like not, Columbus not. You know what I'm saying? It's not. It's not New York. It's not L.A. It's not Houston. Yeah, but you're by no means balling out of control no. on seventy k a year. If and if the, that's even if that's, that's just a, you at the fifty percent time mark, like fifty five, man, like that's. That's it's a real hard. struggle. That's hard. It's very hard. And so you map map that out over a household versus just one person. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I mean, I think about I think about how and this has been we we talked about this a little bit earlier, the ways that the desire for children or even related but differently the desire for a kind of parental or caretaking role has shifted some along the lines of people's caretaking of animals versus having kids so the sort of emerging emergence and prevalence of the language around oh being a dog parent or a dog mom, dog dad, uh, having a fur baby. And I started to look into this, th this, this language becomes more popularized around in the 90s. And now you see folk with full out strollers with their dogs in them. Uh, <laughs> folks taking their cats for walk on their leashes and harnesses, right? Um, people going ham on social media uh showing the the ways that their relationships to their animals have taken on these more complex dimensions such that now this ain't just the the family pet it's oh this is your child functionally and granted 
yes, animals are not children, but I think about what it what it means for the desire for a kind of caretaking role. We we on some level seem geared towards whether in our biology, whether it's a function of certain evolutionary processes, we seem to care about caring for other living things, human and otherwise. And I distinguish that from saying, you know, folks have a maternal or paternal instinct. Because, listen, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of folk who, you know, they just enjoy the processes that lead to kids. They ain't necessarily trying to have kids. It's plenty of, oops, I did it again's out here, <laughs> right? And, you know, that's not my testimony, but for those whose it is. Praise him. Thank you. Because, and that's, oh, man, that's maybe another episode. Bro. But <laughs> the the thing that, that, that strikes me is the, perhaps the relationship between this desire to enact caretaking but with stakes that are different from raising a child. If I got a dog, I don't have to worry about what neighborhood I live in and what schools I'm going to send them to. Yes. I don't need to think about, oh, what happens if they get suspended from doggy daycare? It's not the same concern. It's not the same issue. And I won't front like, listen, I know enough from friends with, with animals that these veterinary bills and the, you know, putting them up and boarding when you got to go out of town, like that, there's, there's work that that entails. But also that work is related to a desire for connection, for care, for care, for companionship. So I'm thinking about how these sorts of functions, when for various reasons, having children, seems very difficult, if not impossible, how that then, that that different orientation towards the desire for care gets worked out. Because even now, I'm like, man, I like other people's dogs. But, uh, ooh, man, I, I, will, I will admit part of the ways that I've been shaped and formed, whether it's nature or nurture, have impacted my desire to... Like I'm, I would, I would like to have kids, but I'm also very clear, bruh, I'm not doing this as a solo venture. I'm not doing this with just anybody just so I can say I did it. And I'm also not doing it um, just to fulfill some sort of nebulous expectation of others. Because sometimes the folk who be wanting you to like, oh, when you gonna have kids, when you gonna do this? I'm like, you got to have kids money. <laughs> you putting in on it. <laughs> right. It's like when you, you, you know, your parents and your folk would be like, you got McDonald's money. Like now the answer is, yeah, I sure do. But I don't even be at McDonald's like that. For real, for real. The question is, boy, do I have kids money? Do I have offspring money? Do I have, ooh, summer camp and extracurriculars money? Do I have problems? No, no, I don't. No, I do not. Yes, correct. <laughs> Man, I, funny enough, this reminds me of um, 
a, a, a situation that both of my parents denied, but I'm younger than them. And, you know, I trust my memory more than I trust theirs. No shade. And if they happen to listen to this, I live far away. So <laughs> I'll take my chances. Um, but I had just, I had just uh, completed my graduation ceremony for my PhD. Uh, it was in December. And so I flew home shortly thereafter to spend Christmas with my family. And uh, I was sitting in the living room, just, you know, talking with my parents. And I feel like, I don't feel like I, I do recall uh, we were having a conversation that shifted to them asking me, so do you, do you like kids? Do you want to have kids? And I was like, so what we're not going to do is that I finished this big thing that has been looming over my life for as long as it has. And you're going to ask me about kids right after that. We're not doing that. <laughs> but uh, this is reflective of some really significant intentional work that I had to do because of my socialization and upbringing and believing that what would give me the most value was being a good husband and a good father. Um, and I had to deal with that because it was, it was creating a significant imbalance in just who I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with the idea of saying like who I was, but I would say probably better or more accurately stated like how I was behaving and the decisions I was making. And I was orienting them so much to like kind of telegraph this path towards a thing that I don't think should be forced. And when I, when I started to see the, the cracks in the facade, if you will, right? Like the, the issues with living my life in that way. Um, I had to ask myself, what would happen if I never became a father? Like, would it all just come crumbling down? Would like everything that I had oriented my life toward like have no meaning? And I really had to sit with some, some deep questions so that I could come to a place of not trying to force it because I was just doing too much. Um, because I wanted so badly to be able to um, attain this kind of next level of, of manhood. Like, almost like a, a proving my masculinity through doing this thing well. And the logic behind that just is just deeply flawed. Because I think it's also in the type of intentional, like, family planning, if you will. Like, there is the agency of two people that leads to a decision toward starting a family. And a hyper-focus on becoming a husband and becoming a father in some ways reduces potential partners into just 
proxies for this goal I'm trying to attain. And when I recognized that about myself, I was like, nah, like that's, that's not it. And I think that that is going to poison any relationship that I try to start with those motives. And so I had to come to a place where I was comfortable with saying, if I never have a biological child, I'm okay. That's not going to mean that my life wasn't valuable. That's not going to mean that I wasn't um, a good man or a good human. And in fact, like, I've got children who I love dearly, and I show up in a fatherly way for them. It's not being their biological father, but that doesn't matter so much. I've had students in a ways that have left me like bewildered at times say like, you're like a father figure. And I was like, what are you talking about, child? Excuse me? What? But when you, in the way that I have chosen to operate, like there are elements of that that are present in my life today. And so it has stopped me from being so wrapped up in this kind of made up mile marker that I have to reach and move me more towards just trying to live my life um, in the way that I want to with intention. And I think in that, like it's, it's released this ability for me to just like love where I am and love who I am. So I stopped like judging myself for not being in some position that, you know, when 20 year old me thought that I would have children by the time I was 27, 20 year old me did not have the benefit of all of the information that 27 year old me had and has a fraction, a percent of a percent of the information that 37-year-old me has. And based on that, like, I'm not going to be beholden to the limited vision of 20-year-old Edwin so much so that I can't appreciate and love what 37-year-old Edwin has built. And I think the freedom in that I think opens me up for whatever comes so that if it happens or if it doesn't, I'm okay. That's very real. We are allowed to change our goals. We are allowed to amend our plans and our dreams. And it dawns on me how these plans and dreams, like you said, they require some mutuality. I can't just produce this out of thin air. Even if I decided, if I decided I wanted to have biological children, I can't produce that outcome on my own. I just can't. It's not, not, not possible. I mean, completely unrelated. Akon seems to think that you can. Google Man. that video. Yeah, I'm, 
Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Please don't. Uh, never mind. <laughs> but in any in any event, right? Like these these goals are not. They're not simply things we can. For as much as our contemporary world has frequently sold us the idea of ultimate autonomy, the ability to do whatever it is you want. Ooh, sometimes you run face first into the hard wall of reality that reminds you, yeah, you're only human and you just one human. There's stuff that for all of our ability to shift or manipulate or control, man, life be life in ways that we don't get to simply orchestrate uh as we please but I, and i think about how this so part part of it is i think of even women that i've that i've uh dated or been partnered with uh who are now mothers but are also unpartnered and their interest in parenting was something that I shared but also it's got to be a thing that for me it, the, the the significance of a kind of mutual desire to not just have offspring but to rear them together yeah. and to have a kind of life together because what I would ideally like is yes I'm with the the person with whom I'm partnered and we are raising our children together I don't um I what other people want to do is their business. My business is not that of co-parenting at a distance. I really like us to all kind of be holding it down together at the homestead with each other. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, so so you can even have an alignment of, oh yeah, I want to, you want to have kids? I want to have kids too. I might even be cool having them with you, but I'll, everybody don't want to be partnered. Everybody doesn't want a certain kind of traditional structure or outcome. And that's people are free to choose that. But also, these are things that, you know, 20 something me wasn't anticipating that, you know, five, 10, 15 years down the road. So we're, so we're having to, to acknowledge and deal with the fact that. Every, everyone's desires aren't always aligned in the way that plays out the way we would like to see it for ourselves. Along with that, something that something that 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 sits with me is how the uh, the pursuit of of a life with with children is is complicated by. I mean, you know, let's just talk about about the reality reality of age. Like any kids I have at, at this point in my life forward, man, they gonna have an old dad. <laughs> their their dad is gonna be a senior citizen when they finish high school, unless they're you know some incredible genius kid who just blazes through all of that. Like I'm good, I got it. I. So I think about like, oh, are you prepared to be a senior citizen raising kids, a senior citizen putting kids through college? And the more the more I think about all of these layers, I'm like, bruh, this is 
it's a lot to think about. It's not just this simple sort of straight line. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I realize there's no singular way to do this. Um, but I also don't pretend that there's an easy button for this. And let me tell you what really solidified some things for me. From the start of the pandemic and thinking about the ways that my own life and well-being and mental health were challenged by isolation, I think about all the folk with kids who suddenly, what's childcare? Where is that? <laughs> what's respite and relief? Because folk were going through it. Where? And in those times, I'm like, man, I love kids. I'm glad I ain't got none. And, and, and too, I think about how the, the pandemic exposed really the lack of support for parents. Mm -hmm. And once again, tying back to this idealization of the nuclear family, of this standalone independent unit, when the whole idea is everybody does for theirs and nobody else, it puts us in a real trick bag where the idea of it takes a village to raise a child gets disintegrated because now the village is you and the folk who are in your house. And now the village resources are whatever you bring in home and nothing else. So for me, I'm like, man, it's we're living in a time in which the idea of community is fragmented in ways that make it hard to imagine being supported in the pursuit, one, just in the pursuit of your own livelihood and well-being, much less like, you know, not, not to mention like the pursuit of children because they require more than just what we can give them. If I work, you know, five days a week, and I'm focused on that work. That means there are times when my kids are not in my presence. As a high school teacher, I spent more time with a lot of folks' kids than they did. So it takes it takes more than just you. Yeah. And 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 recognizing just how much it takes, it it honestly. I think for a lot of people, this idea of the right time to have a kid feels increasingly like a thing that is not in reach, that I'm never going to make enough money, never going to have enough disposable income, never going to have enough of a cushion to feel like I can adequately do this and not feel like I'm behind the eight ball all the time. And if the only pathway to get yourself to the point where you have enough is to work harder, to put in more time, to try to get that promotion, to try to get that job that's better paying. Like all of those things serve to further skew you toward things that are not relationship building or spending time with a partner or spending time with the children that you have or doing like self work to help you deal with the things like all of those things take you away from those like human parts so 
it 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 begs the question what are we doing right like how does how does this make sense because if if this many of us are asking like how am i supposed to make this work with something like reproduction because as challenging as it is like you know the human race is kind of dependent on our continuing to have kids you know it's not we're not in dire straits at the moment in this particular vein but yeah if we're all feeling similarly like this isn't quite working it requires re-examination yeah i mean look at look at the demographics in japan right now Ayo. Uh, or in china population decline yeah and so much and so the population is super top heavy with senior citizens mm-hmm. and fewer people coming up behind them to to help care for them communally so it's you know it's 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 rough out here man it's real so and i don't know i ain't got no no simple answers man but uh in the meantime to uh put it like uh Maury Povich might you are not the father <laughs> feels like a great place to wrap up <laughs> because I am not <laughs> what are you so right. thank you <laughs> thank you again for spending the time with us listening to black men unlearning we are, as always, so appreciative uh, of your rocking with us. And we will catch you on the next one. All right, y'all. Take care. Talk to you soon. All right, peace. Thank you for listening to the Black Men Unlearning podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Black Men Unlearning and email us at blackmenunlearning at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to podcasts.